Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Thank you. Thank you. It's always an honor to stand before people and talk about the Lord. He's done so much in my life. It's just sometimes how you put it in words <laughs> could be the struggle. But God makes life simple with his greatness. There was a prayer prayed by a mother that went like this. So far today, Lord, I've done okay. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or mean. I'm really glad about that, Lord. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of this bed, and from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. Amen. Never felt like that. Everything can be going great until something goes wrong. Someone made you mad. Children or the teenagers, they're misbehaving. And you're ready to get on a broom dressed in black with a black pointed hat with green skin and go flying around the house mad as a hornet. Now that is not exactly a heavenly atmosphere, but it does happen. Yes, I have been on the broom a few times raising children. And I even clutched it into third gear a few times. But we just need to know, what we need to do is just calm down and fix it. So this evening, I want to bring to our attention some ways to bring heaven to our homes. Proverbs 14.1 tells us, The wise woman builds her home, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. A wise and godly mother builds her home upon godly values. She makes it a place of refuge, a place of happiness and peace. How blessed is a husband and a child who can come home and know all is well. It's not too much fun to want to go home, but it's not going to be happy there. The joy of the Lord not only puts happiness in our hearts, but it can be in our homes as well. A huge part of our lives revolve around our home life. You think about it. Heaven is brought to the home through prayer. Prayer is communication with God. How do you talk to him? Well, we know we're supposed to praise him. We don't go around saying things like, well, how dumb of you, God, to let this happen to so-and-so that had a car wreck, and why don't you heal her? She's been sick for so long. We don't talk to God like that. We can build our homes wisely with, with it or foolishly without it. Prayer attracts the presence of Jesus. It sets the atmosphere of the home to be filled with love. It keeps our heart right. Everything starts in the heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. The heart is the wellspring of desire and decision. 
This scripture implies that whatever we allow to enter our hearts must be examined and lined up to the word of God. It will be woven in our way of living in a positive or a negative way, wisely or foolishly. We in turn with his love should be that way towards our family. If your children or spouse feel that any moment they could say or do something that makes you mad, that is not bringing heaven into our homes. Do your children feel that you're always mad at them? Are they looking over their shoulder to see if mom is going to scold them or punish them? They can't seem to please her. Does your family know you smile? Money can build a house, but it takes love to make a home. If communication with our prayers is important for us, our communication in our homes to one another is important. If we want to build our home, homes wisely. How do we, you talk to one another in your home? Well, we like to greet each other with how are you, kind of a praise thing. How would it be that if upon entering the home we just start in, well, it's been a stupid day around here. You know, that, that, that just doesn't set well in the home. Those words are powerful because they go out over the home and they set an atmosphere. It has been said a Christian mind through, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which God loves, and a voice through which Christ speaks. One of the things I learned from my mother was to be peaceable. She always had a godly song in her heart. She went around humming songs in her heart throughout every day. I could not, my vocal cords could not do that. But she hummed all day, just a soft hum. The sweetness and love of God flowed throughout our home. It set a heavenly atmosphere in our home. Now, I can play music, and I do, godly music or classical music, something nice. Now, Caleb has been known a few times to get into my Bose speaker, and I heard a flock of geese going by. (laughs) I heard Johnny Cash come through really loud, (laughs) going, what is going on here? We were just having fun. (laughs) But I was not about to let Johnny Cash set the atmosphere in my home. A fire ring burning or whatever it is. (laughs) But my mom's conversation in our home was uplifting. She never spoke negative. She never spoke negative about anyone. Or she never lashed out a cursing of anger. Our family times around the table growing up, most times breakfast, but always dinner, always began with the prayer of Thanksgiving by my father. Both my mom and dad went through the depression, the Great Depression, and they knew what it was to not have heaps of food. They didn't have a refrigerator full of food. They didn't have a pantry full of chips and dip. Their chip and dip was probably a a biscuit dipped in bacon fat. That was probably what they snacked on. But reverence for God was taught in our home. The word of God was spoken in our home. When it was church time, we didn't guess if we would be going to church No, mom would wear her nicest clothes to church, 
to reverence the house of God and taught us to do the same. She would be dressed early, sitting on the couch, making sure everybody was getting dressed for church. God was first in our home and in our faithfulness to church. Heavenly things were taught in our home through correction. If any of us kids acted naughty in church, we would see a firm look on mother's face and a good pinching in our ears. Now, I have not seen that here. You know, she used to grab our earlobes and give one of them little shakings. I can remember my mom when we kids would all get to arguing, picking each other, and tempers flared. Mom would say something like, we're not going to be acting like that in this, in this house. You just stop that right now. She would go outside, get a little skinny limb off a tree. It was called a switch, and she would spank our legs. She'd just take that little thing. It was just a little sting. There was no abuse there. It was a teaching. You better straighten up, or it could get more serious than this little sting. It could be a warmth to your backside. Was our home always perfect, and, and we were, as a family, always perfect? No. No, we're not born perfect. We're born into sin. Character and principles were strongly taught to us through example and teaching. We would have those times of misbehaving and disagreement, but it never trumped what we were. We were Christians. We were godly people. That was not who we were. It happened, but that is not what we were. That was not the priority culture in our home. Anger was not allowed to stay in our home. Conflict is a part of life. What makes the difference is if you handle it wisely or foolishly or you don't do anything at all. You can't say, well, I just give up. I can't control them. No, it's time to go get the switch and do a little correcting. It's time to put some words into action. I'm not saying abuse your child, no. I'm not saying you have to spank them every time, no. I'm saying they need to know who's in authority, who's in charge. We made things right soon when those times of disagreement came. Mom and dad didn't allow problems to fester and roots of bitterness get in our hearts. Teaching isn't always caught the first time. Some things must be taught over and over again and again. When those times of madness and anger hurt and irritations happen, remember this. Perfection is not going to happen in this life, but the opportunity to be Christ-like happens every day. It's never too late to do the right thing. The book of James chapter 3 teaches us about speaking our words. At the beginning of that chapter, there's a story about a big forest can be set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, and it can corrupt the whole person, and can I say the whole home, by a mother who does not use wisdom with her words. There can be sin in the words we speak. We know that lying, slandering, cursing, that's a kind of sin. But could it also be harsh and unkind words and an attitude that's ungodly speaks out of our mouth? Reading verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Your home is heavenly when words of affirmation, kindness, peace, and love are spoken. You're putting seeds in your children that produces righteousness in them. What you are is what your home is. What you do or don't do is what your home becomes. Home is a gift that you choose to give or not give to your family. Making your home is a sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice to do what we must do rather than what we want to do. Your home tells what your heart is like, where your heart is, what you value, whether you're neat or sloppy. I remember Brother Josh Herring preaching to us about our homes. Christians should have clean, neat homes. I don't know if y'all remember that service, but it was all the Urshan kids, and there was a large group of young men, and I was the one saying, amen, 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 amen. Kind of, you know, one of those services where you push it over to somebody. I won't say who I was pushing it to. But he is tall and redheaded. No, he does great. I'm just having fun. But a home is not that of filth, messes, and piles of things all around the house. He wasn't saying you had to be a perfectionist, but he's saying be neat and clean. We represent God. Is my home always perfect? No, but I try. I try to keep things picked up. And mothers, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. Children need their toys and play areas. And that means things are going to get messed up. Let them be children and enjoy life. There will always be toys to be picked up. A home must be a welcoming place, not a museum of perfection. Speak to your children with words of kindness and train them to pick up their toys. It won't be exactly the way you would do it perfectly. That will take time and patience. Look at it this way. Our home is a ministry. Make it a heavenly place. Every wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Make your home strong and sturdy, built upon the word of God. It won't fail you. And everyone said amen. So Sunday, as you know, is Mother's Day. And Pastor asked the Queen and I to um, just talk about anything related to Mother's Day. Celebrating godly uh, females in the body of Christ. And... uh, I, was, I read a few things today 
about motherhood, and I came across a little story of a, uh, a mother was teaching her five-year-old son the memory verse to quote in front of the church, and the children's program was coming up that Sunday. And so she memorized the verse, and he memorized the verse, and she's sitting on the front row trying to coach him and, you know, sort of initiate. And when the, they gave him the microphone, he just froze, and he little five-year-old boy, he just forgot his memory verse and his mother was on the front row and she's like, I am the light of the world. He goes, oh, my mother is the light of the world. <laughs> well, it's not exactly like that, but a, a mother can bring heaven to a home. I had a colleague, uh, say to me several years ago, he said, in 30 years of marriage, I never looked forward to going home one single day. It broke my heart. We didn't talk about it. I didn't ask any questions. He was explaining why his marriage came to a, an abrupt conclusion. And I can say that in almost 45 years, there's never been a day I have not looked forward to going home. And, that's, and to have that, you have to be intentional. And, uh, you know, I didn't have this in my notes, but I feel like I just want to share this right now. So, what she said is so true. There's no such thing as a perfect home. And if there's an elephant in the room, it has to be confronted. We can't live dysfunctionally and not circle back if there's been issues, if there's been challenges, if there's been problems. And to bring things to a redemptive conclusion. Everybody say redemptive. You know, the goal is, you know, we all have to confront. Parents have to confront children. Husbands and wives have to confront each other. Sometimes we have to confront each other in the church. And confrontation is something that nobody should enjoy doing. If you enjoy confrontation, we need to talk. <laughs> there is a problem. If you enjoy blowing people up and then you feel all better about yourself and you walk away uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger walks away after he unloaded a M16 in a group of people. And that's not biblical. Jesus gives us the pattern, and he says in Matthew 18, he said, Go to your brother alone. Everybody say alone. And, you know, he says, Tell them the issue. So the first thing is find a private moment alone. Don't run to social media and get your gang of thieves behind you. Don't gossip about it and get everybody riled up about it and get everybody on your side. Go to that person alone. That's the biblical way. Let me tell you something. Every time the Bible... Uh, 
Every time you obey the Bible, it will work. If we all want to obey the word of God, then we'll all be in a good, safe place. So the first thing is go alone. Secondly, tell the issue. Speak the truth in love. That's what Paul said. Don't go in there accusing people. Don't go in there shaking your finger. Don't go in there animated and your voice being raised. You want to bring a redemptive conclusion to the situation. So you go alone. Secondly, you speak the truth in love. In other words, you say what the issue is. And then thirdly, how it made you feel. Bring your emotion into it. That's okay. It made me feel like this or that when you said this or when you did that. And then the fourth thing is let them respond. There's two sides to what? Every story. Maybe you are not fully informed. Maybe your perception is a little skewed. So let them respond. You know, if you, two people see a car accident from different sides of the street, there's going to be two different reports. So let them respond. The fifth thing is repeat back to them in your words what you think you just heard them say so there's no miscommunication. Man, this is really good stuff. And then the last thing is you bring it to a redemptive conclusion. I'm sorry, or they say I'm sorry. Uh, Can we pray together? We may disagree, but let's just put that under the blood and let's move forward. I've got it off my chest now. I'm never going to say another thing about it. I'm moving forward. Whatever it takes. And so uh, this is how we bring peace to a home. So our subject tonight is how a mother brings heaven to earth. And uh, my wife primarily focused on peace in the home. I would like to expand that just a little bit and uh, explain the power that godly women have in the church. Godly mothers, godly females, the power that they have in the church. So uh, let, me, let me say this. The best gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. Shall we have a moment? <laughs> That's the best gift we can ever give our children is to love their mother. God invented the family first. Before the church. And the first family had a man, Adam, the husband, and a woman, Eve, his wife, and then the children that God gave to them. Uh, And I want to say that a father and a mother, the male and the female, form a leadership team. In some sense, they are co-leaders. In some sense, they are co-equal as a leadership team. However, 
the way God has set the structure of the family, he has set the man as his representative and his image bearer in that family. And he is the one that bears the spiritual authority and spiritual responsibility of leading that family. So the father and mother are a leadership team, but they each bring something to that team that the other cannot bring. That's very, very important. A father, for example, is the leader, the visionary, the provider, and the disciplinarian, or at least he should be. The mother, who is the co-leader, is primarily the nurturer, the caregiver, the teacher, and the creator of the atmosphere. This is where women have power in the church. And there's many ways that women bring power to the church. Uh... We know that in the book of Acts, in the fivefold ministry, which is the leadership gifts of the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, we believe that there is at least one female who is listed among the apostles. Uh, and so females are celebrated and uh, they have spiritual qualities, spiritual authority in the kingdom of God. But let me just make it real common and real easy to understand. Females, because of the way that a man is wired and the way that a woman is wired, females have the ability from God to set the moral tone of a home, of a family culture, and even of a congregation. The females have such an opportunity. Now, Adam was set in the garden to guard it and to keep it. That means to protect it and to maintain it. But it was Eve who influenced her husband to eat of the fruit of the tree. And I want to say that uh, a godly woman should not usurp authority over a man. And a real godly woman will never attempt to do that. But still, she has power with God. And she has the opportunity to use godly influence on her family on the family of God. And one of the reasons that the Life Church is visited by the presence of God is because of the women of our congregation who are under authority, who demonstrate that they are under authority uh, by the covering of their hair uh, on their head, which we interpret to be uninterrupted hair. A woman's hair is given to her for her glory. It is her covering and Paul said, for this cause ought a woman to have power on her head because of the angels. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 
when Paul says the head of Christ is God and the head of the woman, the man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man, he's talking about spiritual authority and he says the man has, uh, it's a shame for a man to have long hair, but his short hair shows his submission to God. A woman's long hair shows her submission to her husband. She brings the glory of God and invites angels. And this is one of the reasons that the life church is blessed through the influence and the spiritual acumen, if I could say it that way, of a godly, apostolic, spirit-filled woman. So a man and a woman in a home are co-leaders and they each bring something to the leadership team that the other cannot bring. Now, I want to bring this into the church a little bit. This is how the kingdom of God works. Ephesians 5, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So think about this. The Bible uses metaphors or analogies to explain our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. He says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There is no woman in the world that would not be crazy about a man or a husband who treats her as good as Jesus treats the church. There's a mic drop right there. And how the Lord serves us, how the Lord loves us, how the Lord lays his life down for us. And so Jesus Christ is situated in this analogy as the bridegroom, and the church is situated as his bride. We all understand that relationship. Jesus Christ in this role is the head. He's the authority. He's the visionary. He's the provider. He's the disciplinarian in the church. This I would say the closest thing we find to this in the church is the pastoral role within the congregation. The pastor is the spiritual authority, the visionary, the uh, spiritual provider, and also must be at times when needed the disciplinarian. But the question I want to ask you today in light of coming Mother's Day is if the pastor is the father figure of the family. Who is the mother? It's not the pastor's wife. She can only do so much. But that role is the entire church. The entire church is called to be that mother part, that mother piece, to be that nurturer, to be that caregiver. Now, I don't know about you when you were raising your kids, but when my kids fell down and skinned their knees, I would say, come to daddy, and they'd run to me and run right through my legs to mom. <laughs> They're passing me on by. Why? Because I don't know what to do. You know, well, get a Band-Aid. Throw it on there. You know, the mother is going to, oh, baby, oh, come and see mommy. Get up here on my lap. So she's the nurturer. She's the caregiver. And I want to say that this is all of our responsibility. Don't just come to church and get what you need and leave. 
Make sure that you're looking around. Make sure that you're paying attention. I know we all look pretty and nice, but some of us have just had a train wreck. Some of us just had bad news. Some of us might have had a child disappoint us and break our hearts and the enemy can't get to us any more keenly than he can through our children. And so uh, make sure that you're providing that mother, nurturer, caregiver peace in the church. And this is very, very important. The, the woman sets the tone for the house. And not only do the females set an atmosphere of holiness, godliness, uh, we keep the spirit of adultery and fornication out of the life church. Not because we're judging people who have fallen prey to it, but because we're setting a standard. We were separated from the world. And I've never figured out how do people who fall into those two sins find each other. They don't come to church wearing lapel badges. They find each other because they, spirits attract spirits. And I want to say I thank God for the godly women of our church that set this bar high, that have chaste conversation, that are modest, and that set this tone, and that are the nurturers and the caregivers. But I want to also compliment this church. If you could boil down Christianity to one word in the context of what I'm trying to present tonight, it would have to be others. Everybody say others. So Galatians 4, verse 12, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul is addressing the legalism in the church in Galatia. Verse 12, you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that when I was sick, I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me had it been possible. And so Paul, in this passage, he's describing the difference between legalism, the Old Testament law, and grace. And he's using Abraham and his, his wife Sarah and her handmaid Hagar. He had sons with both of them. But Hagar's son Ishmael was born of the bondwoman and Sarah's son Isaac was born of a free woman. And so uh, Abraham, Paul is saying... Let's not create a judgmental, legalistic, uh, exclusive atmosphere in the kingdom of God. But let's let Sarah be the mother of the church. 
a mother who is gracious, a mother who is not under legalism, who is not under law, who has not compromised, but is gentle in her relationship and has an ability to inspire greatness. I remember when I was in 10th grade, I was failing geometry. My first semester, I had a D. I do not have a mind for math. I was horrible at algebra. I was horrible in geometry. And if you're great at it, wow, I'm amazed. But I was not. And I still remember bringing home that D. And my mother, she was a German, pragmatic German. And she did not scold me. She did not let me have it. My mother was smart, and she was good at math, uh, and I wasn't. And she could have just put me in her mold and just dressed me up and down, but she said, son, I know you can do better. Here I am, 66, and I still remember that talk 50 years ago. I remember those words, son, I know you can do better. And you know what? I did. I got that D up to a B minus by the end of the next semester because I did not want to let her down. She inspired me, and that's how she nurtured. Well, I'm not done, but my time is up, so let's stand. Let me just point out a couple of quick things. When the Apostle Paul writes... He often appeals to the mother-child relationship. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. He says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you, or innocent. We were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, Verse 8, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, I love this, but our own lives. That's just like a mother. We didn't just teach you, but we, we sat down and we held you. Look at verse 9. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? That sounds like a mother to me. Night and day, we toiled so that we would not be a burden to you. Then verse 11, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. So I guess I want to close with this. When we come together, let's be the mother. Let's let God be God. Let's let the pastor be the pastor. God can do what only he can do. The pastor will do what only he can do. But as the mother, as the wife, as the bride, as the church, we must do what we can do. We must be here to nurture these new babes, to love them, to not judge them. Put an expectation on them, yes but not set the bar so high that they're discouraged and they want to quit and they give up. In fact, I was talking to one of our brothers before the service tonight, and he said one of his first services, he came and 
and people were talking about different versions of the Bible and it was overwhelming and, it, 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 and he felt sort of, you know, judged and, and I'm glad he got through that and that was not the intention at all. But let's, when we come to the house of God, let's look around, let's pay attention. Let's be that nurturer. Uh, when we hear the word of God, let's not just make it about us and just rush to the altar. Let's come to the altar, but let's look around and see if there's someone that we can minister to, that we can be the mother to. We all know what it feels like to have someone lay their hand on our shoulder. We all know how comforting it is to have someone speak words of prayer over us or to take us aside. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we celebrate godly womanhood. We celebrate apostolic, godly females in the house of the Lord today and mothers in particular. And I just pray that, Lord, Jerusalem, which is above, will be the mother of us all. Lord, that the church will be that mother, that nurturer, that caregiver, that one that, Lord, carries the seed and gives birth and travails, Lord, until, uh, Lord, that child is born. Lord, I pray a blessing on our godly women. I I pray for a woman right now that's under attack. Lord, that wonders if it's worthwhile to hold a standard and, and to be faithful and to be modest and godly and reject, Lord, what this world calls beautiful. And I just pray, Lord, that you will give her courage to stand and to be a light in a dark world. Lord, with all of this gender identity confusion and dysphoria that's around us, Lord, may we have men and women in the church who know who we are in Christ, that we understand the order of creation. Lord, that we will serve you and be faithful to you, that we also, O Lord, will be sensitive to the needs and the burdens of one another. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. I pray a blessing on every home, on every marriage, on every adult that's raising children. Lord, even some of us are raising our grandchildren. Lord, that you will give us grace, that you will give us wisdom. Lord, to do it the best we can in a way that honors and glorifies you. We praise you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.